0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. Resolve your errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to rollbar.com slash changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app, and once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, at changelaw.com/live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com/community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. And now on to the show.
1: Hello, party people, and welcome back. It's JS Party time. Once again, we have an awesome panel as we like to do every single week. I'm Jared, I'm here, I'm joined by three amazing people. Let's start with Divya. Welcome back to JS Party.
2: Hello. Happy to be here.
1: And that's not all. We got K-ball. Ooh, that rhymed. Nice. Not all, that's K-ball. K-ball rhymes with all sorts of stuff. Hey, happy to be here. And last but certainly not least is Nick Nisi. What's up, Nick? Hoi hoi. Hoi hoi. Is that going to be your uh, your call signal from now on? Are you starting to think?
3: I think so. Oh. That, that's what uh, Mr. Burns, that's how Mr. Burns answers the phone. Hoi uh. uh, hoi. <laughs> <So. laughs>
1: I like it. I actually like it a lot better when you do it with that affectation. So I would, I would suggest <laughs> yeah. keeping it, and but doing it just like that next time.
3: Perfect. We yeah. should
1: do a JS party where everyone adopts an accent. The whole thing. Oh my goodness. That would be hard. <laughs> that would be terrible. Just to maintain That'd that be for so hard. Minutes. Well, we have uh, awesome segments as always. We're going to start off talking about really the biggest news in our space uh, over the last couple of weeks, which is GitHub's announcement of their very own package registry. Then we're going to turn to some JavaScript trends. There's a nice post put out by the CV compiler folks, all about what people are looking for in job skills and the trends that are happening there and the JavaScript land in 2019. And then finish off with one of our favorite segments, which is shoutouts. So look forward to all that. Let's start off with. GitHub, the source of all code, the host of most code, and trying to be the uh, host of many packages. So this was a big announcement that happened last week, and it happened kind of in a weird way, if you ask me, Friday afternoon?
2: Yeah, exactly. I I, I only heard about it because I was at a conference, and then a, a fellow speaker was like, Hey, did you hear about the announcement? And he only knew about it because he worked at Microsoft.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and I like, I'm not a PR person, but I know that a, a common tactic of PR people is when they want to bury a story like it has to come out, but they don't want it to make oh, it a big yeah. deal. They will announce it or put out a press release on a Friday afternoon. And famously back in uh, what was it? Antenna Gate with Apple when 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 Steve Jobs held. That event um, on the on the campus and really wanted atten- antenna gate just to end back with the iPhone 4. Maybe it was. They had this event on Friday afternoon and it was effective. So it, just the inter- just a strange thing. Maybe they're trying to fly under the radar. It's hard for GitHub to fly under our radar because you know we we are so integrated. I mean, we not change but we the developer community. Um, So maybe they just thought, hey, let's just do it now and people will find out. And maybe, I don't know, what do you guys think about the
3: Friday afternoon live stream? I saw a tweet about it like two or three days before. And I thought it was very strange because usually I found out about new GitHub features like on the homepage, right? There'll just be like a little box that says, hey, Mm -hmm. and it links to their blog and has whatever the new feature is, you know, draft PRs or whatever. Uh, But I saw a tweet. I'm like, man, they never, they never... uh, Pre-announce an announcement like this, so mm. I was pretty excited to tune in, and I watched the live stream and and uh, was excited about it.
1: I was there long enough to get the gist of the announcement, and then you know it was Friday afternoon. I had other more relaxing things to be doing. So tell tell us about the stream <laughs> itself, Nick. Uh, I know that you know Nat Friedman was up there. They brought up some demos. Uh, what was the overall feeling of that presentation?
3: Uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, they kept <laughs> they they did the typical thing with with like announcing new things where they're like they I can't remember the announcer or the uh the presenter's name, but he kept saying, you know, nothing up my sleeve or or no tricks here. Like like, you know, there's the trying to tell you that it's not magic. This is actually working and it's doing what we're this saying. It's doing. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny. That was the big takeaway I got from it other than the actual announcement. Were they overemphasizing that to the extent where you're like, hmm, <laughs> maybe <laughs> this is, is <laughs> Maybe I caught on to that, but no, I I don't think so. So the details
1: of this uh, you can find in the show notes, of course, you can just go to github slash feature slash package dash registry if you want to read it for yourself. But it says your packages at home with their code. And it says with github package registry, you can safely publish and consume packages within your organization or with the entire world. They have, I guess you'd call it a limited set or a starter set of supported packages ecosystems and language npm ruby gems mm-hmm. docker nougat maven and i think that's it there might be a couple of more but that's at least what they're launching yeah. with
2: i was really surprised like python wasn't on there yeah really <laughs> like pip yeah. pip is in there or anything and python's a huge community and i was like where's python yeah is
1: that a disk or is that just a mvp you know try to get something <laughs> no out there, idea
2: thing? yeah
1: it makes a lot of sense, right? Well, I guess first impressions. Maybe Cable, you've been quiet so far. First impressions are just of the the concept. Okay, now GitHub is going to be a package registry. Whether whether it becomes, you know, the package registry for some of these ecosystems or not, I think that's still left to be found out. But just that they're moving into this space. What is your initial impressions?
4: Yeah. So there's there's two areas of this that I think are super interesting. Uh, that. Where GitHub can really make a difference relative to the status quo. Uh, one is, I think this makes it far easier to set up internal package registries to share code inside of an organization because mm-hmm. you don't have to figure out anything new. You don't have to set up your own server to manage it. You don't have to do any of that. You just use the tools you're already using and you can make internal packages and set up an internal registry. So I think. The organizational case for that is really interesting. Mm. The second piece that I think is a very interesting possibility that we'll see uh, if we can get to is this potentially allows for uh, kind of end-to-end verification of, is the code that is in a repository that's visible to the world, you know, the code repository, the open source code, is that actually what is being used to generate the package? Because uh-huh. we ran into situations like the event stream hack where there was discrepancy. You know, People were obfuscating what's visible to the world and or easily visible versus what's actually getting pushed into the registry. And there's obviously some complications here. You know, nobody, almost nobody's shipping raw code. You're, you know, at least in the JavaScript world, you're probably transpiling it, you're bundling it, you're doing whatever. Um, though actually in things like Ruby and Python and other languages that may be less true um, but what this enables is at least the potential to do end-to-end validation of is the code I'm looking at as an open source developer reviewing this actually what's getting installed in my system.
3: That's really interesting and that I think that that's the one, the one main place where they could shine with this is I was trying to think of how they might do that and uh, this does work with github actions right out of the box you can Mm -hmm. like have an action that once you you know push to master then take that and package it up or or something and maybe like they could have like some kind of badge system where if this package was deployed via this specific action it gets this badge and that's like your your certified pipeline badge so it's still up to the the packages maybe at that point to uh set up that verification system because i'm not sure they could do it in a, in a Global way, but at least then you know that it went through this this uh, automated system and not just somebody publishing straight from their their desktop.
1: So Chris in the chat asking yeah. the question, is this GitHub or is this Microsoft? And what he means, I think, by that is, and maybe we won't, we can't know, but you know, product roadmaps take a long time and huge new. I mean, this is a whole another area of their business at this point. These things don't you know spike out uh, in in three weeks and then get released. And we know Microsoft has purchased GitHub, gosh, probably coming up mm-hmm. on a a year or eighteen months. I can't remember the exact time frame, but the question is like, was this a thing that was already up and moving with previous GitHub management you know with different leadership uh or is this a thing that Microsoft came in and said, you know this is a a next step because this is a huge next step for them branching out
2: yeah, it's also really exciting because um with this, it means that like because a lot of the times with package registries, like if you think of NPM and Ruby gems and so, so on, like it's really hard to find like because there's the package registry and then there's where the code is hosted. And a lot of the community is in GitHub. Like people submit issues, pull requests, like they see the code and you kind of gather in one place and not in like the actual like package management place. Right. Um, and so with this, it's really nice because it seems like a centralized location where people can be like, oh, okay. I, I can easily discover packages in GitHub and I can like also see what are the open issues and things like that without having to toggle between like, oh, I'm on NPM and then now I have to like go back to GitHub or like do the click, the weird click through. It's yeah. is like, where's the GitHub The link? weird click through, yes. I'm, I always find myself like I've done it so many times, but I'm always like the get where is the GitHub.
3: Yes. That's like all I do on NPM is just find the yeah. GitHub link and then go there.
2: Right. Exactly. And it's it's really frustrating. But yeah. So hopefully this will be like much nicer, like a better workflow. Um and like like you're saying, Nick, with the, the, the GitHub actions, I think that'll be really neat as well because I find like in general, whenever I publish a package I would have to like use like the NPM CLI and then it's basically like two different things I'm doing. I'd be like push to GitHub and then from GitHub I have to version it and then I'd be like, okay, let me go publish it on NPM and then figure out what's happening. Uh, Yeah, and I've messed it up a couple of times. I'm (laughs) like, wait, let me roll back, roll back. (laughs) Um,
4: So I have a couple questions on this that are perhaps less sunny. Um, So uh, one question is, like one of the really nice things about some of the language specific registries right now is you don't have to ask about where do I load things from. Like, I'm not much of a sysadmin person, but I know every time I have to muck with Linux and like Ubuntu or whatever, I'm like, shoot, where do I load these packages from? Some of them are in the default re- registry. Do I have to add registries? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Like, it's much more of a headache than with Python or Ruby or, uh, npm or javascript where i'm just like okay there is one registry i'm going to install from there and i'm good um so that's like one area where i'm, I'm wondering is this like a step towards fragmentation uh in these language ecosystems yeah. um and then the the second one which is almost the inverse problem is centralization is, right centralization right i like, know i was trying to well. like i kind of like that npm is a different company than github is a different company than you know wherever else, um that there's GitLab and GitHub and whatever. like if everything is going through GitHub, which is Microsoft, like are we continuing to consolidate power in our industry I in know. those top four companies?
3: And this is definitely the embrace and extend part of Microsoft's uh, past three part
1: strategy. yeah, yeah, it's such a weird dichotomy because you do have both concerns. You have a fragmentation concern, and then you have a centralization concern. and I think they're both legitimate, you know. I yep. could see both of them happening, well, in certain ways, and both of them affecting negatively both the, the already diverse ecosystems, and then the, the kind of the convergent one ecosystem of GitHub. It's tough because like inside, but well, let's talk about it specifically inside the JavaScript land and the front end space. It's NPM's the only player in the game. I mean, you have other clients, you have the yarn client, but when it comes to registries, it is NPM, and that has both spurred a lot of uh, flourishment in terms of packages publishing and the ease of use and all that kind of stuff but then could also be um, lacking competition on the actual hosting and the registry side of things. So In that regard, GitHub getting into this is basically can put a fire under NPM's butt and say hey, we got features that you don't have or we can do things you don't have because we are the source code host as well and so step up your game. And that could make
3: everybody better. Just to confirm, do we think that this is directly competing with NPM's uh, enterprise uh, solutions?
2: I assumed it wasn't. I just assumed it was like this. Like This was just like a way for making the workflow easier, but it wasn't necessarily a competition. I don't know. I
1: would, I would think it's direct com- competition myself. I mean, it's, it's public or private. So I think there's definitely... Maybe not the on premise stuff. Um, maybe. I don't know. But definitely, in terms of where enterprises do their packages, I think it's a direct competition. I do too. Yeah. If,
4: if we look at what is their pitch at NPM for the enterprise package, um, they have uh, enterprise grade JavaScript, whatever that means. Um, but then they, they also say, uh, <laughs> do you duplicate? development so you know manage your internal stuff in the same way you manage your open source stuff Um, and then there's team management which we also are already doing in github the only thing they have on here that i haven't seen super or i'm not sure is definitely addressed is this like security expertise piece but yeah i think most of the most of the value adds that npm enterprise have are.
1: Very much challenged by this. Yeah. I just want to comment on that enterprise grade JavaScript. It makes me think of do you guys ever see the enterprise version of Fizzbuzz that made the rounds a couple of years ago? So funny. It's like this Java class that does FizzBuzz, the programming, you know, quiz in the most enterprisey way possible. I'll try to find the code and put it in the show notes. It's spectacular. But that's what I think of. Enterprise grade JavaScript. It's like, are you writing the JavaScript for us? Or or how's the enterprise grade? Is my code magically better because I'm using you as a Enterprise provider.
4: I mean, there is also a sort of de-risking component here. Cause I don't know if I'm I'm probably not the only one who's watched like all the NPM related drama on Twitter going down over the last few months. Yeah. Oh but, definitely. Uh, but yeah, with that in the background there, there's like, um, hmm, I depend on this for an awful lot of stuff. Is this company gonna be around in another three years?
1: Can you summarize that without you know slamming anybody um the drama
4: yes uh so I'm, i'm not on the inside on this i have no context over what is right or wrong um i know that there was one some buzz around a set of people being laid off from npm uh and that the uh assertion made as i understand it was that this was done um very inelegantly um and by a third party coming in rather than direct conversations with the executives And that perhaps this was done to people who had just recently been hired. Um, So it was done in a way that left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, Following that, I have seen a number of high profile members of NPM saying that they are leaving NPM, often without saying too much more than that. Um, So, you know, not weighing in on the drama and the this and the that. Um, But, you know, I remember we did a. I don't remember if it was JS Party or Changelog, but there was one, an interview we did with like Jeff Lemback about NPM is people. Yeah. Well, I saw on Twitter that Jeff is leaving NPM. Mm-hmm. And a number of other uh, folks who have been at least very visible in the community representing NPM are have announced publicly that they are leaving NPM. And so it makes me wonder like what's going on behind the scenes there. And running a company is bloody hard and i don't want to without knowing the background i don't want to place judgment on one person or another but it definitely seems like there is a lot of struggle happening there right now
1: well if they are in distress this will crank up the stress for sure as they have now a heavyweight competitor um i guess we'll talk about the state of the package registry right now sign up for the beta so i guess similar to, to github actions which is i think still sign up for the beta um which has been a long time, by the way, maybe showing some signs of you know, sl- you know, big ships move slowly. Um, yep. Google so. syndrome. How
4: long was Gmail in beta? Like 12 <laughs> years, wasn't it? Something like that.
3: A couple of other interesting uh, bits on this is that it does work within the, the APIs of the existing like, CLI apps that you'd use. So you, could, you would still use NPM or Yarn mm-hmm. for this. And I assume the same thing for Docker and Maven and all of those. I was more just interested in in the npm side of it, obviously. Um, But then it also allows you to have public and private repos. And I think private is only for GitHub Pro. I think it's.
2: I think it's free for all now. Like they changed that recently.
3: For repos, I was wondering about private packages. Oh, for packages. Um, Yeah.
2: Actually, it might be Pro. Yeah, that would make sense why people go Pro
3: yeah it was giving incentive to GoPro, (laughs) but yeah that that's that will be interesting i think that that uh coupled with the the things that you can potentially do with like actions or with like some kind of certified pipeline uh are the things that will make this stand out over just npm or ruby gems or whatever the other uh package managers are
2: yeah also like totally separately but like i found it really interesting because when github announced um their new registry, GitLab, released an article saying, like, hey, we did this before everyone else. <laughs> um, and it was just, like, an article saying, like, they did this back in, like, 2016 or something. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that okay, cool. Funny. Like, nice flex, <laughs> GitLab.
4: I really want to like GitLab, and every time that I've tried their UI, I'm like, this is so much worse than GitHub. They're just, yeah. the focus on... Design interaction and UI isn't there, and that I think they're doing some really innovative things and I think they've done some great stuff for supporting the open source community and supporting um, the view community, which I love. Um, but the their product, to me as a developer, is pretty inferior relative to
1: GitHub. GitLab might become the new Dojo wasn't Dojo the Dojo already did that.
3: <laughs> I was gonna make that joke. You should do it. To <laughs> it.
1: Okay, final thoughts on GitHub. A lot of this, I think, is kind of wait and see um, our, yeah. our prognostications of what might happen, you know, our fears, our desires. It's compelling. Integrated products are compelling. I think there's an ideological tug of war here because, you know, Git is distributed version control, and we've moved a lot of our stuff to one centralized, you know, for-profit company, and now here's a whole other area, which was on a different for-profit company And now it's like, well, maybe everything's maybe GitHub will be decentralized platform, and uh, that that usually ends up bad.
2: I think over time, it's just like Microsoft will start owning everything. Like I, we use VS Code, and we use GitHub, and now we'll like use their registry. They'll just own like every step of the process.
4: Well, and what's interesting, so there's there's like four ish companies who are dominating the industry right now right you have microsoft you have google you have facebook you have apple did i miss any and i think that's pretty much it. did you say amazon oh amazon you're right 100 amazon um of those only one seems to have a bad reputation among developers <laughs> facebook mm, that's true. everybody yeah. like folks are kind of jumping on the bandwagon of what, oh, AWS is so awesome, all these great things. Microsoft is so awesome, all these things are doing. And they are awesome. Like, they're doing a great job of their building great things. And we're letting them continue to consolidate power. Yeah. And consolidate, you know, as as you say, Divya, eventually all of our stuff on this end will be, you know, using Microsoft products and we'll be hosting everything on AWS and blah, 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 blah. And if you're not hosting on AWS, you're hosting on Azure or you're hosting on, Google Cloud, and it's kind of like that's that's a very fragile world to live in, and it's one where uh, individuals have
1: given up a whole lot of power. Mm-hmm. Two last points that that makes me think of the first one is that Microsoft, and you you just named Microsoft and said that you know only one has a bad reputation with developers, and that it wasn't Microsoft; it was Facebook. And it's true, Microsoft has been on a very intentional. I don't know, six year, five year process of mending their relationship with the software developers that are not, you know, weren't always inside of the Microsoft Windows camp. And they've done a heck of a job at it. Um, And as it's evidenced by everybody using VS Code, like is saying, everybody's, you know, using GitHub and loving GitHub and Microsoft owns that. And it hasn't been bad for us yet. Um, So it's just interesting how successful they've been at changing their reputation, because Public opinion is a very hard thing to sway. The second thought I had is there's an adage mostly about robotics and automation and AI and whatnot uh, about Amazon, which is, you know, in the next 10 years, e- Amazon is either going to uh, hire you, like you'll be either working for Amazon or they will put you completely out of business. Like that's kind of the path that Amazon is on just in the, in the more mainstream space. And so in a lot of ways, maybe in the, the software space, set aside AWS, Microsoft might be on that path where they might be the player when it comes to developer tools over the next five, 10 years.
2: Yeah, but it's, it's I, I have not, um, I think it's only in the recent few years where I've heard people say they would want to work for Microsoft. <laughs> and I, yeah. I have not heard that in a really long time. And now there there are lots of developers, like very talented developers, or who are like you know if Microsoft gave me a job I would take it, right? Uh, and so that's like a huge shift, like and that that probably like moves us to the next segment on like job skills stuff. We can talk about that later, but it's just an interesting way of like how they position themselves. So in the developer community, they're seen quite well now. And they've like, they've obviously done a good job. So, yeah.
3: Just, just to close it, there's, there's a Twitter account, uh, NPM Parody, that speculates on what NPM might actually stand for. And uh, I saw a tweet from them, nobody predicted Microsoft. <laughs> I believe uh, that NPM account was created
4: specifically when the package manager was announced.
2: Oh,
3: really?
4: All of their tweets are May 10th. Oh,
2: Could weird. Could this be conspiracy
1: the new horse JS
4: horse JS has longevity they first tweeted May 10th they last tweeted May 10th oh it's a one and done kind of (laughs) thing this is this is a, a one hit wonder Twitter account
0: This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI, CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full-duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at Linode.com/changelog. Again, Linode.com/changelog.
1: Next up, we turn our focus to JavaScript Trends. The fine folks at CV Compiler have a interesting research and analysis they did. They call it Game of Frameworks, JavaScript Trends of 2019, wherein they went out and surveyed, I think it was 300 different job postings in April from around AngelList, Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, etc., And they compiled them down to find out what companies are posting about which skills specifically inside the JavaScript space companies are looking for. And they produce a nice chart. Um, we will link all that in the show notes. If you want to look at that chart, I'll tell you right now that React is numero uno. So it wins the game of frameworks, I guess, even though is it a framework? I don't think it's a framework. That being said, how do we define these things? No JS is on there, so is it a framework?
2: I think it's just um Git is on there. Is Git like... a framework? Think they no, this is, it this skills. is skills, not yeah, framework. It's like I know,
1: but skills. it was called Game of Frameworks. I don't a Game of Thrones reference, but it's like, where are the frameworks? Anyways, I'm nitpicking. Not a good this reference. Boy. Yeah, trying too um, hard.
3: The thing that immediately struck uh, stuck out to me was number seven, Java, and I'm immediately thinking of this. Is it just people spelling it Java space script? Oh, <laughs> 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 do people not realize that the that Java and JavaScript are different things? Like. Those are the two things that I immediately.
1: That might be a legit of. situation if they're just you know going out and regexing a bunch of job postings, you know, and somebody put a space between.
3: I had to follow up and ask them. On Luckily, that. script is not number eight, so <laughs> <laughs> we need scripting skills, nunchuck well, skills.
4: You also see things on there like SQL and Python and stuff. So I think one of the things that that draws to my notice is like, folks don't want someone necessarily who's only paying attention to JavaScript. You need to understand some of the back-end technologies
1: that you're going to be interacting with. Mm-hmm. jQuery top in the top 10 there. Still, still I'm legitimate.
2: I'm so, like, I'm a little sad that Vue is like so low on that list. Why is it oh, so no. low? It's like below Python. Python
4: <laughs> <What? laughs> is actually ridiculously popular, but yeah, this is supposedly JavaScript For jobs, JavaScript so I
2: developers. I I mean yeah. Hey, at
4: least your framework's on there. Yeah, oh that's, that's true. true.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh not featured things like Dojo. Well Ember, TypeScript is other. there,
2: Nick, so at least Yeah.
4: <laughs> I think it is kind of interesting to to think about this. I mean, it's it's hard to know without tread lines, right? To how much we should be uh considering this. But you know, this is an interesting snapshot. It's a snapshot, of, yeah you know, where, what are people looking for? Um, I do wonder, it says 300 job listings, uh, and then it has numbers next to them. So I'm wondering, like, is this 267 job listings out of 300 featured React? And if so, why does Angular have 195? Are these saying, oh, React or Angular? Like, that seems a little off. Um, oh, I bet it, they
1: probably are. I mean, there's there's some job listings out there where they'll just list off a laundry list of, of skills that you should have in there, and it'll be a you know, comma-separated list. You should know React, Angular, Vue.js. Right, and, for 14 and years of experience with, with GraphQL, you know, stuff like that.
2: And there's also general ones, which is, like, not really tech-specific. There's, like, OOP, and then I think those design patterns as well, which I was, like, that's mm-hmm. interesting because that's very general and subjective.
3: The one that's curious, curiously missing from here is JavaScript. It's not on there at all.
1: Maybe, they, um, maybe it's presupposed.
3: Probably, but like <laughs> that is, that's what we focus on in our interview process is fundamental JavaScript, no framework, no TypeScript, no Webpack, no Java, JavaScript.
1: What about in your listings? Is that how it is as well?
3: Yeah, I think so. I uh, will have to double check that though. Ooh, now we got it.
4: Yeah, quick look. <laughs> it does. So let's let's step back a little bit um, from making fun of uh, these folks, because uh, <laughs> I mean, I think there are things to make fun of, but it, it's it's actually a really hard problem if you're sort of cross-cutting, um, which I think they are—they cross across industries—to like look at what are people putting in resumes and use that to derive uh, something interesting. Like that's a very hard problem. Um, but what do we think this indicates about, you know, finding a job right now in tech doing JavaScript? Like, are there insights that we can draw from this with our additional industry context? Mm -hmm.
2: I think the expectation is much higher. So like, yes, you should know JavaScript, but there's also an, like, this, on this expectation that you also know all these frameworks, you know, you know, just, like, TypeScript or you've worked with Webpack. And so for someone who might be newer or who has just, like, started picking up skills, it's really overwhelming. And I've talked to a lot of people who've gone through boot camps or are fresh out of school, and they're like, what should I focus on? <laughs> I'm like, uh, usually my answer is just, like, just get really good at JavaScript or, like, whatever it is you want to do. Because I think the flavor has come and go, like... There's a lot of frameworks that come in and, like, React is popular now, but, like, who knows what will happen in five years. And so, like you're saying, Nick, just, like, a solid understanding of one thing and then working your way through. But I find a lot of job descriptions tend to just give you the laundry list of everything. And that's, like, really hard for someone who's looking for a job to be like, wait, I only have one of this or two out of, like, 20
3: yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that if you have a a good firm understanding of the fundamentals, you can really jump in and pick up uh, Vue or React or uh, anything pretty quickly. It's just JavaScript. It's just JavaScript. It's just JavaScript.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually been doing a lot of research on some of this question of like what are the skills that we uh, expect of people at different levels because I'm I'm working on a new project focused on uh, training tech leads, so people who are a little further up in the skill ladder, but as Mm -hmm. a part of that, I'm like researching this whole progression. Um, And I found a really interesting resource um, that I'd like to share um, at um, progression.fyi, which is a gentleman in England who has put together um, essentially a collection of all these different um, sort of career progression charts that different companies have published for engineering and for design. So. Various companies have written about their progression charts, open source things, whatever. Um, and you know, shout out, by the way, to Natalie Marlene, who I met at React Amsterdam, who pointed me at progression.fyi. Um, so it's super cool stuff. Uh, but this guy, Johnny Birch, has put this together. And one of the things I've found pouring through these is you know, different companies call these different uh, levels. Different things like at one company, they might call it engineering one versus junior developer versus this, that, the other, but there are a lot of commonalities across them. Um, and this isn't going to tell you which skills in terms of like, should I be learning React versus whatever. But like, if you're entry level and you're junior, uh, typically what you're going to be doing is you're going to be working on pretty well defined tasks, doing bug fixes, and really learning how to learn. And so, like, your focus should be kind of figuring out how to go deep pick one specialty go deep you know if you're in the front end maybe even pick react or something pick one framework go really deep on that um, and don't worry about all the other stuff because junior developers are not being asked to integrate across five different things they're like focused within one area and then as you sort of go up the hierarchy a little bit you get into mid-level two or three years in um, now you should be able to do something on your own within your area of expertise and start to get touching other things. So that's when you're gonna to start to branch out into other se- uh, skill areas. But yeah, if you're just coming out of a boot camp, don't try to do all the things. Pick one, go deep
1: on it. That's a really interesting take. So would you say in, today, in 2019, if you're gonna pick one to go deep, it seems like you can't miss with React right now.
4: If you are in the front end, yeah. you pretty much like, and you're looking for something that's going to get you a job,
1: React is probably your best choice. Sorry, JS. Sorry, Vue's, Divya.
2: Vue is still, still cool. <laughs> it's still cool.
1: So uh, Rich Howell in the chat is, uh, is also a Vue developer and is currently applying for work and can confirm that it's pretty low on people's list. Uh, he says, thankfully, his Vue experience transfers over to React pretty well. So that's one thing that you'll find over time is a lot of the skills from all these things transfer over. There are some like, like if you've deep, if you dove in dive in i don't know if you're deep into angular and you know like the bugs the workarounds for the bugs that skill will not translate like maybe your process of finding those workarounds absolutely will but like you know how exactly to interact with this api because you've gotten that deep into it that itself probably won't transfer over to another one because they're not going to have that bug they're not going to have that specific api that being said the general themes and Architectural things and a lot of these frameworks will transfer over. So, a lot of a lot of I think what happens with people is they just get uh, analysis paralysis, you know, and it's just like, what do I pick? What do I do? I spend most of my time reading articles like this of of which one because it's such a huge decision. And I guess my point here is just realize it's not a, it's not that huge of a decision and maybe just optimize for something like this. Like, well, most jobs here, I'm just going to learn that one and go from there. And it does seem like today, although maybe tomorrow view will be, you know, higher up. But if you're going to just pick one and dive deep, it seems like react is in 2019, uh, your best bet.
4: Yeah. There are some mega trends that are showing up across the board that to your point, like if you learn in one example, it will then be easy to branch out. Right. Uh So like, Staying in the front end world, I think there are also some mega trends in the back end. But in the front end world, uh, component oriented development, thinking about things as a set of components that can be interact, you know, interact and plug and play. Like React is doing that, Angular is doing that, Vue is doing that, Ember is doing that, Dojo is doing that, Mithril is doing that, Svelte is doing that. Like that is yep. the approach that we're going. So start in React because it's easy to get a job there. Dive deep, but have in mind, okay, how am I thinking about? components. What are the boundaries? How are we doing that? That understanding, that knowledge, that experience is going to translate no matter what framework you end up moving to in the next job or whatever. Uh, Similarly, things like declarative coding, right? We are increasingly moving to a declarative paradigm for our components. We're not imperatively doing things. We're thinking about, you know, here's what this thing should be and letting frameworks handle how and when. And that's another place where, like, if so long as what you're working in is doing that, which means maybe not focusing on jQuery, but if, you know, if you're doing React, like those skills are once again going to translate. So mm-hmm. like there's a lot of these mega trends. Um, I, I identified five in a blog post earlier this year, but like if you look for the bigger picture questions and start learning those within the context of one thing you're going deep on, you're not going to end up in trouble when suddenly, you know, the flavor of the month changes.
2: I'm going to assume that's what that list meant by design pattern. <laughs> to mm-hmm. be like general, like declarative versus imperative, and like how you do something in React, which is overall like very specific to the framework. But like the pattern of doing it can be used in Angular and can be used in Vue if you just change like some syntax and the structure. But essentially, they all call it different things, but they might mean the same. So it's just kind of like, If you master one framework and just know it really well translating can be frustrating but at the same time you have the tools and you have those patterns that you already are familiar with and they will probably translate quite easily once you get used to a different syntax and everything so also have you seen like i think i posted in the chat but have you seen that tweet that emma like tweeted a couple of days ago about like react being the kid who cut school and then view being the no. nice kid in school she was trying to like immortalize the different technologies and i thought it was really funny and css is like the flaky unpredictable
1: one uh,
2: <laughs> it's so funny
1: that is funny we'll we'll have to include that one in the notes as well Wh- one other thing that i noticed in here and then i want to kick it over to maybe nick uh to talk about back end too because you know node is Popular, but inside of note like, what do you learn? What do you dive into there? If you're you're thinking more back end JavaScript, is that there are a lot of things on this list. I'm not sure how long this list is. Maybe 20 items. I didn't count them, and they aren't numbered. But there are lots, like four at least, that I'm just staring at that have specifically to do with testing. So unit testing is one. Uh, Mocha, another one. Obviously, a, a very specific testing library. Uh, continuous integration, which you can't really use without tests. Uh, Jest. TDD like these these are things in here so in terms of big trends especially in the dynamic language space now the typescripts in there as well which might mitigate some of the tests that you have to write and Nick can probably gush on that in a, in a minute but learn how to write automated tests for code because yes the specifics of the way you do it in this language how do you mock in this language versus that etc may not transfer over but the skill of being able to write a test to fully exercise a piece of code you'll use for the rest of your career. So absolutely, that is something that is trending and will continue to trend until we have machines that write all our tests for us. But then we have to, who's going to test the machines? You know? What about the back end, guys?
3: I think that there's a core set of skills that you need to, to know about the back end uh, as well, just in a similar way that there is about the front end. Uh, and the, the primary one that comes to mind when I'm thinking about back end JavaScript it seems like everything kind of stems from Express in some way, at least in what I've seen.
1: <laughs> Just learn I'm currently Express. using a
3: project called NestJS, which is like a, a TypeScript wrapper around Nest, or around Express, but it adds, uh, it makes it more Angular-like is the way I describe it, but in a good way.
1: Give the elevator pitch on Express. Explain what that is.
3: Uh, it's a way to set up, uh, a, a way to handle routes for backend. So you can say, you can define and say, um, you know, when, uh, your server gets a call to this request, like this, um, URL effectively, uh, run this function and deliver something back. But then it gives you the ability to add in middleware, uh, and other things. So you can plug in and say like, you know, this route is, uh, only available to administrators. So before you actually serve it, double check this route specifically and make sure that it's uh, the user is authenticated to be able to see it. And if not, throw them back in error. Otherwise, run the function. And kind of abstracting that away so that you don't have to to think about it on every single request.
1: Anybody have anything to add on the back-end space, trends, what to learn, what to avoid, maybe?
4: I think one thing that is uh, tricky, both on the front end and the back end, and I think is something that is probably like judging from what I've seen, something that you start to really wrap your head around a little later in the game, uh, you know, certainly a, a year or two at least into your career if you're coming from bootcamp, and we have focused very much on, on early career folks for this conversation, but yeah. um, this is, it's data manipulation and data management, right? How do I uh, think about taking data, transforming it, using it in different ways, uh, whether that's on the back end saying, what are the data stores that I'm working with and how do I uh, you know, normalize my data and doing that or on the front end saying, okay, I'm loading this data from APIs, but it may not be exactly what I need for my UI unless I'm using GraphQL or if I'm using GraphQL, thinking about how do I generate those queries and sort of that way that data flows through systems and you can manipulate it and you know, thinking about things like transformations and mapping and, and all that stuff like that seems to be something that is a little harder for folks to pick up than the kind of uh sort of first UI logic or in the back end sort of first logic around okay I'm setting up these routes and this type of thing um but really starts to be important uh, as you go forward and that that seems like you're just thinking about data and how data flows through an application is something that I don't it's not really well uh captured in one particular tool here, but definitely is something that I've seen folks struggle with and that is really important as you start to move from entry level to a little bit more senior. For
2: sure. I think especially since it moves past just working on like small features and you have to think about the overall architecture and like whether it's scalable and maintainable and those are the things you have to think about. Just like how does the data flow, like what is, What is the architecture of the back end and how does it provide data to the front end and how's the front end like lies with the back end and so on and just understanding that requires like a bit of experience i think just like having worked on different different applications having played around with things and just yeah that's a generally like the more senior you get the expectation is that you know these like how to do that and how to like work those problems
3: Would you classify tooling as a back-end or a front-end thing, like Webpack and other tooling like that? Almost orthogonal. Yeah, Yeah. it depends
1: on what kind of tooling you're talking about, I guess. Are you talking about backend tooling or front-end tooling? I would say version control, communication, and things like this uh, cross all those chasms, but tooling's very specific to... I mean, Docker, I guess, would be another one that is general. Containers, that kind of stuff.
2: I feel like containers moves into like DevOpsy space, where it's well, at like, least
1: to being able to use them, if not to yeah, just them, like right? create
2: a Docker file and then like okay,
1: that's very much where I'm still at. Is like <laughs> I can create a little Docker file and I can like do a that's thing, but
2: usually where I'm at, yeah. And half the time when Docker like doesn't like, sometimes it has trouble like with hot reloading, and then people will be like, oh, just like restart your whatever, and I'm like, cool. It on and off again, that's pretty much mine as well. <laughs> if it doesn't work,
1: well, I mean, a lot of tools are like that. Git, you can get by on about eight Git commands for years, and you're, you're just like, do the magic incantation, oh, right?
2: 100%.
3: Just
1: yeah. write them down and use them, and eventually you might figure out. I still don't know exactly how Git works. I know there's a lot of pointers to SHAs and stuff, but I don't know. I just have all the <laughs> commands yeah. memorized, and yeah, I think, to-
2: and you don't need to use all of them. Like, I think I've only used the Git bisect like twice ever. And that was like a mistake.
3: Yeah. I <laughs> like it I once, regretted and I was like, it. Oh, like, I'm never doing this again.
2: Exactly. Because it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. You're I just decided to write like, less bugs. Yeah. Stren- I taught an
3: advanced Git workshop once and I spent the first hour and a half going through the anatomy of a single commit. Wow. You should do that Straight on the show that- sometime. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting things in there.
4: It does. Uh- it, when if you choose to climb that ladder, it does open up a lot of really interesting things. Um, you know, I definitely have been called in more than once to, like, sort of recover. Like, oh my god, I feel like I lost my code, or oh, what happened here? Yeah, and just like understanding how Git works, even if you don't necessarily know. All of the different commands, but if you have that, men- if you're if you're willing to put into the work to to build that mental model of like what actually is happening and where are these things and how can I, what are the many ways that I can find and get to them, like there it does have uh, benefits that flow out.
2: I think also when you're starting to have arguments around whether you should uh, squash your commits or do a merge is when you're like, okay, I think <laughs> I think I've leveled up my Git skills to a point where you can have an opinion on like. One versus the
1: other. Even if you're Nick and you have the wrong opinion. hey, what does Nick think? <laughs> squash oh. all the way.
2: Oh, yes. I'm team Squash, too.
1: <laughs> Nick is a pronounced force pusher, so yeah. you, know, you know who you're talking <laughs> to. You know, who, know who you're alliancing yeah. with right here.
2: I think I've had that opinion on teams before because I'm like, I like clean history. And they're like, well, clean history is like everything. And I'm like, that's not clean. And then you're like it's sorting through the garbage.
3: Exactly. Well, you ah, but go, often, those are often the people who think that haven't used history, get bisect.
1: Often, clean exactly. history is incorrect history.
2: Yeah, yeah but wanna, like, do
1: you want to lie to your friends and family? Is that yeah, what but do? most
2: of history, most of world history, is not like raw. <laughs> it's been cleaned up and like it's know. written by the winners, which is exactly. why it can't be
3: believed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's untrustworthy. I want to show things the way that they should have gone,
4: right? Which could yeah. make it very hard to track down what went wrong. Anyway, we're we're way off the rails here, but it sounds like uh, Jared and I are on one side of a holy debate or <laughs> holy war, and uh, Divya and Nick are on another. We may have just
1: found our our next segment idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks. The goal of the tool is to take the pain out of test automation. And to help with this, Gage supports specifications of Markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write, reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier, and less code means less time maintaining code. And finally, integrations. Use gauge with your favorite tools and your IDEs and the ecosystem of your choice. Selenium, SciHe Pro, CIC and CD tools like go cd jenkins travis and ide support for visual studio vs code intellij and more head to gauge.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try again gauge.org slash jsparty
1: okay folks one of our favorite segments is shout outs this is a great opportunity for us to shout out and thank or give props to a person, people, a project, anything really that we think deserves some shout outs and maybe hasn't got them, maybe has, but we all like to take a turn. So let's start off with K Ball. Give us your shout outs. All right. So
4: I want to shout out a category and then I'm going to shout out three particular examples. So the category that I want to shout out is uh, people who are doing work to kind of bridge between design and development and sort of empath- emphasize. UI centric and design centric front end development, Um, because this is a place where stuff often goes wrong, (laughs) and uh, we've had whole conversations about challenges even within the front end development space, uh, the uh, divide and various other things. But um, you know, there's a lot of people doing yeoman's work here. So uh, three particular people and instances I'm going to shout out. Um, First, there was a recent article on Smashing Magazine by Stefan. Kaltenegger. Um, I probably butchered his name. uh, But he did this article on essentially how you can work to bridge the gap between designers and developers. And it's just kind of a nice kind of walkthrough of things that you can do as a developer or as a designer. um, I think more focused on the developer. Uh, to kind of help bridge that gap and it, it also referenced out to a cool resource that I hadn't seen before called can't unsee which gives you practice uh, developing your design eye um, so that's one of the three people I'm going to shout out on this subject uh, the next one is Ryan Singer uh, who wrote an article um, on the signal versus noise uh, blog recently about the place of UX and looking at Alternative ways of thinking about user experience is essentially being the boundary between any two things that are uh, supply and demand so one he um, was talking about okay between the user and the product that's where we usually think about it but actually this concept of design is really important at every place where you have interactions between different groups um, so I think that was that was really cool and then the final uh, shout out I'm gonna do is for a conference uh, that my friend Dylan Sheeman is involved with organizing. Um, so conference organizers in general deserve shout outs, but this one in particular um, is a conference called Halfstack, uh, which is focused on UI centric front end development. Um, and they are expanding from being only in London to having events in Vienna, New York and Phoenix and various other things. So uh, super cool to see this kind of UI focused development stuff growing and being more uh, present around the world. So. Props to those three people: to Stefan Kaltenegger, Ryan Singer, and Dylan Sheman, All of whose names I probably butchered.
1: K ball the butcher. All right, Divya, your turn.
2: Awesome. Um, so I'm gonna shout out to a conference. Uh, and someone on this panel is organizing it. <laughs> um, NEJS, which is like really cool, and I, I've, I've spoken at NEJS like two years ago, and it was It was actually my first conference talk. Um. And I feel like the organizers were so cool and awesome and like the conference itself was wonderful. It wasn't at the zoo, which it is gonna be this year. Um, which is super exciting. Also, the theme I'm so excited about.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um,
2: it's uh life aquatic. <laughs> and it's so cool. Yes. And I heard like someone's gonna dress up as Steve Zisu. Like
3: <laughs> <that'd be> Yes. <laughs>
1: Who is this someone you keep referring to? I don't know. Could it be Nick it... Nisi?
2: <laughs> Could it be? Um, I'm more interested in who's going to be the jaguar shark more than anything. <laughs> I want to know.
1: <laughs> I feel like we have to get that done yeah. now. I feel like get... Nick
2: will just come out with his kid like dressed as a jaguar shark.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be perfect. so cute. Perfection.
2: <laughs> um, baby shark
1: yes yes (laughs) so well well, thank you yeah please don't please don't oh it's too late yeah i know
2: once it's in your head you can't get it out and then um this is like another shout out to a tool that um, rosebay mentioned on the chat which is like uh quokka.js and i think so it's interesting because this is a tool that i recently heard about um, and, like, it's funny that he posted it as well. So I was at NationJS, which is a small conference, also really great, in D.C. And um, Nir Kaufman was one of the speakers. And uh, he's big in the React community in New York. Um, and he spoke about Quok- He spoke about Quaka And it was so... I had never heard of it. And I think it's really cool because it allows you to, like, prototype. It's like a scratch pad for when you're, like, working on stuff. And so you're like, oh, wait, I'm looking at... I'm working with this, like, library and I don't know how it works. And then you can, like, kind of just use it as a scratch pad to be like, let me try different things and then, like, erase it when you're done without having to, like, mess up your files. So Which I think is so cool um, and interesting because, like, the, even the way that it was presented to me was, like, oh, like, most of the time you look at a framework and you look at the documentation and then that's how you learn how it works. Like, a library like Lodash, for example. But with this, it's, like, you can actually work on the thing which i've done before like i've used run kit and like various things which is like on npm where you're like okay i want to like play around with this tool and see what things are doing but i think quokka allows you to kind of dig really deep into a specific library or tool which is so interesting and neat just like from a learning perspective if you want to like going back to the conversation of like scaling up be like i'm a junior developer to be like i want to progress. I think that's like such a great great tool for you to just like learn about how tools are created, how libraries are architected, so on. Um and then the last thing which is like so I really like shaders in like just for fun. They don't really do anything for me in terms of like getting me money <laughs> or a job. Um
3: They're doing something. Well,
2: I'm I get excited about them because I think they're really cool and interesting and totally different because I I also like thinking of and doing things outside of what I normally do. It's always nice to switch gears. Um and so sometimes uh in my free time I work on like WebGL and like GLSL, which is like the shader language for the web. Super cool. And um there's a library that I recently heard of called Blotter JS, which is a JavaScript API for drawing like text effects and it's so cool. <laughs> um and it's done by someone at um this hacker school that I went to called Recurse Center. Also a shout out because uh, Recurse Center is awesome. You've never heard of mm-hmm. it. It's a, it's like a, a retreat for developers. So if you're just like trying to find your groove, and you need like to be around other people who are working on really things, things and apply. And the idea is that you can work on like a week or a month. No, actually it's a week, three months, or I forget the time span. I did it for a week um so it's very like low stakes you can just take a week off of work go there and you get to work on like a project that you're really interested in so for me i worked on like web sh- web gl and shaders which is like something i don't normally do um and be surrounded by like super smart people and like learn about different things and yeah so that like definitely like recurse is a huge shout out um and the community is awesome as well if you like want to just plug into like community of developers who are really excited about what they do that's like not twitter because like twitter has that but it's also like you have to like kind of sort through the garbage because you can't squash you know Mm -hmm. on twitter or whatever but but yeah so that those are my shout outs
1: very good well we appreciate the nejs shout out nick give the pitch here we got tickets for sale well what's the situation on nejs uh
3: tickets for sale it's august 9th uh Our early bird tickets uh, are going right now and you can pick them up at nejsconf.com. I would say that our uh, CFP is still open, but by the time this goes out, it will not be, Uh, but that's okay because we have a lot of awesome uh, proposals that have been submitted and we're really looking forward to the painstaking task of having to say no to so many of them uh, because that's always the toughest part of being a conference organizer. But, Uh, Otherwise, it's August 9th at the Henry Dorley Zoo, the number one zoo in the world, and according to many places. I think so. At least it was at one point, Uh, but they're constantly... In the 80s. No, just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really uh, cool. At least in America,
1: for sure. Maybe in the world, I believe you, Nick, but it's a spectacular zoo. While we're talking conferences real quick, I'll get over to you here, Nick. I wanted to mention all things open this fall in October. There will be a large... Portion of changelog folks uh, at that conference. So if you're going to be there, give us a shout out. Let us know. We might organize something like a meetup or a live show or something. There'll be a lot of JS party people there as well. So just want to give everybody a heads up that all things open in October. It's in North Carolina, is a thing that we'll have representation. We'd love to come out and see everybody and uh, come say hi. So that's just a, a quick one there. Back to you, Nick, on your shout outs.
4: Wait, I, w- I want to chime in on the zoo really quick as a former San Diego resident.
2: Um, My gosh, yeah, San yeah, Diego yeah, yeah. Zoo is the best. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So <laughs> Second best. best.
4: <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to judge because I have not actually been to the Omaha Zoo. However, I did look up a little bit of the uh, statistics on them. And it looks like by, uh, when was this? At least in a number of years back, by a number of 5 million a year to 1 million a year, there are a lot more people who think the San Diego Zoo is a place worth going.
1: Uh, now we got a new, a new ground war here. We got yep. uh, get styles and zoos we can go back and forth on. That might just be a statement about San Diego versus Omaha. I, I don't think know. it probably There's mm-hmm. a lot more people. San Diego has pretty nice weather. But in San Diego, I haven't been to that zoo, but I've also heard great zoo. So there's, there's room in the world for more than one awesome zoo, but ours is the best. All right, Nick, your turn.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, my shout outs, uh, I'm going to shout out to, uh, Renee Rubel and I might be mispronouncing his name, but he's a really cool guy who works at Esri and he, uh, runs a website called learn dojo. And he's just putting out the really, these really cool tutorials on, uh, different parts of using new dojo. And it's, it's just really great, really great to see that out in the community and they're really great tutorials as well. So, uh, shout out to Renee for, for doing that. And then um I just have to shout out to Tim Pope and specifically for his Vim Fugitive plugin. It's just uh I, I just recently learned about the the G command. Um I don't know when that got added, but I've been using like uh G status and uh you know g read and all of these these commands to uh work for the most part with with Git. Uh but then I just go back to the command line for things. And with G, you can look at diffs of your commands and then stage those individual hunks right from there, right from within Vim, and you never have to leave. And it's just so nice to be able to curate your Git uh, commits and commit messages all without ever having to leave Vim. So thank you, Tim Pope, for that.
1: All right. Last but not least is my shout outs. And I want to talk about something that you, maybe you know about, maybe you don't. It is go Time. So you may know that we have another show that's very similar to this one called Go Time and a lot like JS Party where we had it going for a while and we put JS Party on hiatus and we try to change some things, make things better. And we relaunched with an expanded panel. We had a very similar situation with GoTime. So GoTime went on hiatus for almost a year, but I'm happy to say it's back now. And the panel is spectacular. You may know some of these names, Matt Ryer, Ashley McNamara, Johnny Bersico, Carmen Ando, JBD, uh, Yana Bidogan, and as well as Mark Bates. And I will just say maybe there isn't too much overlap between JavaScript interest and Go interest. But the thing about GoTime is it's not just about Go. In fact, we've rewritten the little blurb, which says that uh, uh, now says a diverse panel and special guests discuss cloud infrastructure, distributed systems, microservices, Kubernetes, Docker, oh, and also Go. So I am not a Go developer. I do have vested interest in GoTime being successful. That being said, I don't have much to do with this show at all besides I listen to it. And it's a lot like JS Party now. It's a ton of fun. The new panel is spectacular. And they put out some really, really good shows. The last one was Go for Beginners, very similar to conversations that we're having here about getting into JavaScript and learning those things. But I specifically want to mention episode 84 Hardware Hacking with Tiny Go and Gopherbot, in which Matt uh, interviewed Ron Evans, AKA Dead Program, who is just a very entertaining guy and has tons of information all about robotics. Uh, He started the GoBout project as well as the there was a Ruby and a JavaScript version as well. Um, And so that's just a spectacular way of getting to know that show. So I just wanted to thank the new panelists and say, if you haven't heard of GoTime uh, or you gave it to Alyssa a while ago, it's now a good time to check it back out because it's filled with very awesome people. So I want to thank them. And uh, yeah, excited to have GoTime back.
2: The logo is so cool. I'm just looking at the mesh thing. <laughs> so cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, a little gopher hidden in there. All right, any final words before we call it a day?
3: There's nothing wrong with force push. <laughs> in Why'd certain I... circumstances. Why'd I have
1: to ask?
2: You should have said everyone but Nick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to end the show now before K-Ball starts talking about <laughs> Sam and Zoo again. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. This has been a lot of fun. As always, more shows like this at changeallcom slash jsparty. Hey, do us a favor. If you like this show, especially for people who are getting into the space learning, uh, give us a recommendation. We would really appreciate it. We love word of mouth. That means we're doing a good job putting out good content for you. And that is actually still, even with all the technology that we have and all the social networks, word of mouth referrals is still the best way that people find and listen to new podcasts. So we appreciate you doing that. That's our show this week. We will see you next time. All right.
0: Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us have Apple Podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things around here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Congratulations. You've listened all the way to the end of the show. And guess what? Got a little surprise for you. Here's a preview of Brain Science, our upcoming podcast coming out very soon. The easiest way to subscribe is to subscribe to our master feed at the changelog.com master. Get all of our podcasts in one single feed, plus some extras that only hit the master feed, including Brain Science. Brain Science is a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain so we can understand things like behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and this thing we call the human condition. It's hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. As humans, one of the things that separates us from any other animal out there is the fact that we have language, we have words, and we have super powerful words that truly change how we feel and how we make other people feel. If the words we say have so much potential to influence ourselves and the world around us, how do we begin to understand the power of words?
5: So words really are the thing that separates us from all other animals. Because, right, sharks, bats, dogs, lizards, they don't talk. And this is really critical when it comes to managing our moods and our feelings. One of the things um, that I sort of talk about or even I mentioned earlier about the way in which we file things in our mind according to feelings, this is exactly how we differentiate it too. Thinking about uh, an example like with professional athletes – they, you might say that they get anxious like before a mm-hmm. race or before, you know, uh, a run or a dive. But using that word, it, it's not really a threat, right? But their, their brain would be like, oh, I'm nervous. And now I start this whole sequence of events in my body. Whereas if I just change the word to like, I'm anticipating, or I'm excited, it creates a different sort of rollout of emotions as well as physiological responses. I mean, I'm anxious about going to Disneyland is not usually what we say,
0: right? I'm excited.
5: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it then puts a lid on or files things differently in our mind, which then changes how we feel about it. So in my field in psychology, I would say, we would say name it to tame it. The better I can name different feelings, the more I can tame whatever emotion that is. And so then I'm not really stuck living in this sort of mammal and reptile lane where I'm always just flipping my lid, I'm reactive, I'm angry, or I'm sad, but rather I can go, I recognize this is how I'm feeling or like I'm, I'm afraid of some other threat, like losing my job. And I can go, you know what? Here's the words I can use to talk to myself about that fear so that I'm not just stuck feeling afraid, of a possible threat, which has never occurred yet.
0: You use this concept, too, to to say customized thinking. I'm not sure I fully understand what you mean by customized thinking. What do you mean by that?
5: Well, because we are human, we do have the power of choice, which is super powerful. Like nobody has to tell you how you need to think or how you need to feel right and like your version of success might be very different than mine which is going to impact my desir- my choices and the direction i'm headed and so when you think about customized right i mean you can customize a car you can customize your order at a restaurant like it really is tailored specifically to you and going how do i want to think and how do i want to feel one example i consider is I want to always – I want every day of the week to feel like I do on the weekend because to me, the weekend feels great. I'm with my family. I don't, I'm don't. i not sort of running things with such a tight timeline, and there's just a different sort of ethereal vibe to the weekend. Right. And I think, why does that only have to exist on the weekend? Yeah. Well, I want that every day. Why is
0: that? I want that every day too. <laughs>
5: Well, and I think part of it is really our attitude and our expectations. I mean, there are legitimate threats all around us, but it doesn't help me do me or do my life any better if I am only focused on threats. So I want to practice changing the channel in my mind that says, hey, yeah, I see that potential job loss, but I also see I'm with my family right now. And right now, nobody can take sort of. What I've been through and how I feel away from me, I, I'm in charge of how I feel. So I'm going to do things that actually contribute to feeling better.
0: So how, how do we apply this name of it idea to this model then? Because maybe if you name the week, the weekend, can you change how you feel about it? Because that's really what it's about. It's like, how do we take you know the labels we apply things to things? the names we give things the words we use the choices what i think we might call nuance i'm not really sure how you how how you put that into play with the power of words but the difference between like you said before being anxious or being excited you know fundamentally it's almost the same feeling but you know from a nuance level it's very different you know it's it's one direction or the other of excitement you know negative excitement potentially or positive excitement How do we apply that to customized thinking?
5: Well, I think that's a great way to say it, Adam. I really like that nuance because what we're looking for, even as I talk about the different brains, we want a symphony. I mean, I'm not going to fire the woodwind section because I don't like a violin, right? So I don't want to fire a certain part of my brain like, you're not really helpful. I don't need to see that. But what we need is a sense of congruence. And so, sure, not every day of the week can feel exactly like the weekend. So I'm not going to say this is how I feel. But I have to actually believe it for it to impact my mind, my brain, and my body in the way in which I desire it to. And so I might use the words like, I strive for every day to have a feeling that reminds me of exactly how I feel on the weekend, so that I don't lose sight that like every day really is a gift and I get to enjoy every day of my life to some degree. And so another example might be, I'm living out in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of people have negative feelings about the weather. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) But so if someone were to say that they just need to learn to love it, that's gonna create what we call cognitive dissonance. It doesn't fit. So it doesn't matter how much I'm like, oh, I I do love the gray. I do love the clouds. It's not going to jive with me. And so it won't stick. So instead, I can say, I love the way in which the rain creates the green. And in the summer, when it is green, it is amazing.
0: This idea of learning to live with it, though, get over it. Uh, It is what it is. Like There's so many phrases we use to say just that, like just learn to live with it. What is it called again?
5: Cognitive dissonance.
0: And what does that mean when you play it out?
5: It doesn't go together. Okay. So that if you're like, oh, just just do it. You just need to get over it. Like that really isn't helpful either because your body's giving you a signal and, and your brain is telling you, I don't like this sensation. I don't like how this feel. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, I just hate the gray and the gray is just overwhelming. And so we have to go well what's my emotional buy-in like what what do i like how does that even allow me to enjoy something else and so i'm going to look at going you know what i really like that i get to wear warm clothes or i really do love my coffee because it's for such a long time it's gray and rainy i want to be inside by a fire drinking my coffee right <laughs> and so how can i look for going you know what if I do these things I, I might not want to do, I do get some more of what I do want to do. And so it's really almost like a bartering system in your brain of saying, if you do this thing you don't like, you get this thing you you do like. Or, you know, I know you don't have to make yourself do this thing unless you can see a way in which it actually benefits you or speaks to you emotionally everything adam really has to have this emotional Mm buy-in and if there's no good emotion no really the primary neuro neurochemical in our brain is dopamine for feeling good i don't get some hit of dopamine my brain's going to be like it's not worth it and i'm not going to do it period
0: that's a preview of brain science if you love where we're going with this send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released email us at editors at changelaw.com. in the subject line put in all caps, BRAIN SCIENCE with a couple bangs if you're really excited. You can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed. Head to changelog.com slash master or search in your podcast app for changelog master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows and even those that only hit the master feed. Again, changelog.com slash master.